Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Fresh Encounter, the radio ministry of Lifelong Anointing Church. Our mission as a church is to equip the body of Christ to increase in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God and with men. We're glad that you joined us for this edition of the broadcast. It is our prayer that this broadcast will be a blessing to you. Here now is Pastor Otuno with today's message. The practice of our faith is all about what we do, not what we say. The practice of our faith is what we do and not what we say. If I say I love you, how do you know that I love you apart from what I'm saying is the actions that I take. The way that I behave towards you. The way that I behave in your presence and outside of your presence. If I say I love you and you are you are important to me, the way I treat you, my actions will say. So the practice of our living faith is all about what we do, not what we say. So the question is, why is it important that you understand this? Why is it important that you understand the practice of our faith? It is important because, number one, the practice of your faith is the evidence of your faith. The practice of your faith tells us what you really believe. If I tell you, I've used this example several times, I'll use it again. If I tell you that this chair is very solid, you can sit on it. If you believe me, if you say, yes, pastor, I believe you that the chair is strong enough, but you refuse to sit on it, that tells me you don't really believe me. Tells me you don't believe me because you are refusing to take the action that shows that you believe me. The practice of our faith is the evidence of our faith. It tells us exactly what we really believe. Number two, the practice of our faith tells us exactly what we believe. Like I said, if you really want to know what an individual believes, his practice will confirm it. It is not how much of what I say. It's the things that I do that tells you whether I believe something or I don't believe it. So the practice of our faith confirms that you have faith. Because when you believe something, you act upon it. If I say you just go, go on a shopping spree, because by this particular afternoon at 12 noon, I'm going to give you a check for a thousand dollars. If you believe me, you go and shop. If you don't believe me, you say, well, when I get the check, that's when I'll go. So the point is that the practice, what you do, confirms your faith. Number three, the practice of our faith is rooted in our conviction. In other words, if you are persuaded that this thing is true, then you will act upon it. You have to be convinced. You have to believe me. You have to be persuaded for you to do anything. If you are not persuaded, you won't do it. Just like I said about the chair, if you are not convinced that this chair is strong enough to carry your weight, you will not sit on it. So our practice is rooted in our conviction. Our practice also flows from the heart. If you see somebody if they are doing something with their heart, you will know. If you see somebody who is doing something just to please another guy, you will know. Your practice flows from your hearts. The Bible says that since we are the same spirit, according to what is written, I believe and therefore I spoke. I am doing the things because it flows from my heart. In other words, what we do, how we act, is rooted in the way we think. Everything you do flows from your head. How you think, how you see life, that's the way you behave. And how we think controls everything that you do. 
If you see somebody and you like that person, it affects the way you behave. If you see somebody and you don't like them, it affects the way you behave. If you believe something, the way you will act will show. If you don't believe a word that is coming out of the mouth of somebody, it will show. Everything we do flows from how we think. And I will give you an example. In the book of Numbers chapter 13. Numbers 13, the Bible tells us the story of how Moses was instructed by God to send spies to the promised land. The Bible told us that Moses obeyed, picked the spies and sent them out. But before Moses sent them out, Moses gave them instruction. Moses said, when you get to the land, I want you to do some specific things. Let's start reading the story from Numbers chapter 13, reading from verse number 17. The Bible said then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up to the mountain and see what the land is like. Whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, or few or many. Whether the land they dwell in is good or bad. Whether the cities inhabited are like camps or stronghold. Whether the land is rich or poor. Whether there are forests or there are not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grape. Now I want you to understand. Moses was giving the people that were sending out, say, go out, spy the land. Go and do more like a surveillance of that particular area. And as you go, I want you to do some very specific things. The first thing is that I want you to get a clear picture of what the land looks like. We are not just going to walk into this land blinded. We want to see what this land looks like. Number two, get a picture of who the people are. What the people look like. Who are they? What do they do? Things like that. Number three, is they get a picture of their defense system. Are these people strong or are they weak? Do they live in camps or do they live in stronghold? What is the city make like? How is the defense structure? Are these people well fortified or not? And then finally, what is the resources that they have? Are they rich or are they poor? Is there forest in there? Are these particular people living well or are they just trying to survive? So you get a clear picture of who these people are. The Bible now makes us to understand that after they received the instruction, they went on the mission. Forty days, they scouted the land. And the Bible tells us that they now came back and gave a report to Moses and the whole nation. Not only did they give the report, the Bible told us that they even brought the fruits from the land to show the people this is what the land looks like. Let's pick up the story from verse number 27. The Bible said, then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey and this is the fruit. In other words, all that God has been saying about this land is true. Everything that God has told us about this place is true. The land is flowing with milk and honey and this is the fruit to show you. He said, verse number 28, he said, nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the south. The Hittite, the Jebusite, and the Amorite dwells in the mountains. And the Canaanite dwell by the sea and among the banks of the Jordan. Now I want you to notice. They are still giving reports to Moses. They are telling Moses what they have seen. They are telling Moses the lay of the land. They're telling Moses the nature of the people. They're telling Moses the resources of the land. They even brought evidence of what they are saying. You will notice that Moses did not ask them for their opinion. Moses only asked them to give the report. And they were giving the report. Moses did not tell the spies that I need your opinion or I need your recommendation as to what to do. They began to present their unsolicited recommendation. In verse number 30, Caleb said, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, 
let us go up at once and take possession, for we are able to overcome it. In other words, let me say, this place is good. This is exactly what God has told us. We have the power to go and do it because we have seen it and we know that God can give us this place. He believed that they should move at once and take possession of the land. His recommendation was that they should do an immediate and decisive action. That is one person. But the Bible makes us to understand about the rest of the team. They saw the same thing that Caleb saw. They interacted with the same people that Caleb interacted with. They saw the same city that Caleb saw. In verse number 31, the Bible says, they now gave us their own thought. Verse 31, the Bible says, And the men who had gone with him, who had gone with Caleb said, We are not able to go up against these people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devoured its inhabitants, and all the people whom we have saw are men of great status. If the land devoured its inhabitants, what are these people still doing there? You understand the irony of that statement? You are saying the land devoured its people, but there are people there. But that's a story for another day. Verse number 33. The Bible now says, There we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giant, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. I want you to notice this interesting conversation here. Here are two people, two individuals, looking exactly at the same thing, and they are coming up with two different results. That's amazing. They went to the same city. They saw the same people. They saw exactly the same thing. The interesting thing is that they now came to a different conclusion. They saw exactly the same fortified city, the same people. They saw everything. And they came to a completely different conclusion. And the question is why? How can you be looking at the same thing and coming to a different conclusion? And the answer to that question in the same book, Numbers 13, I want you to look at verse number 33. The Bible says there, we saw the giants and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. From this verse of the scripture, you will see the reasons why these individuals came to two different opinions. You will see here, the reason for the difference of opinion was the result of what was going on inside the head of the other ten spies. Something else was going on in there. They were looking at the same thing, but something else was going on in their mind. The filter, the lens through which they were looking at the people was a different lens. Caleb and Joshua were looking at the people with a particular kind of lens. These other guys were looking at the same people with a different kind of lens. The difference of opinion was a result of how the ten spies were looking at themselves. Their perception of who they are. That is why I told you at the very beginning that what we do, and how we act reflects is a function of what is happening inside your mind. If your mind is messed up, everything you see will be messed up. If your mind is corrupt, everything you see will be corrupt. But if your mind is pure, if your mind is healthy, everything you see will be healthy. How you think controls everything you do. When these guys got to the promised land, they were the ones that said, this land is a land that is flowing with milk and honey. In other words, whatever God has said about this land is true. When they got there, they saw it the way God said it was. When they got to the land, it was flowing with milk and honey. When they got to the land, it was filled with riches and prosperity. So the issue was not the land. The issue they had was not even the people or the size of the people. That was not their problem. 
the issue was the individuals that received the promise of the Almighty God. What was going on inside their head? The problem was how the individuals with the promise saw themselves. The problem was what was going on in their heart and the mind of those people. In their mind, they saw themselves like grasshoppers. As long as you believe that you are a grasshopper, you can never amount to anything. Because that's what is in your mind. In the minds of this individual, they saw themselves as incapable. They saw themselves as inadequate. They saw themselves as grasshopper. They saw the giants and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. I want you to notice the statement that they make. They said we are like grasshoppers in our own sight. You will notice that it is not the people that told them that they were grasshoppers. I hope you understand that. The people did not tell them that they were grasshoppers. They were the ones that came to the conclusion that they were grasshoppers. Nobody can tell you that you are a failure unless you first of all tell yourself that you are a failure. Nobody can tell you that you are inadequate unless you are telling yourself that you are inadequate. Nobody can tell you that you will never succeed unless you are telling yourself that you yourself will never succeed. We were like grasshoppers in our own sights. And when you have that kind of mentality, that's when you think that your failure is the result of somebody else. That's when you think that you are not moving forward because of somebody else. That's when you think your failure in life, your lack of progress, your lack of advancement is the result of what somebody else is doing. No, they were grasshoppers in their own sight. Those people did not stop them from possessing the land. But they themselves limited themselves. And because of what was going on in their own mind, they could not exercise the faith that would take them into the promise of God. The Bible says, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of men what God has planned and prepared for his people. The question is, why are we not seeing it? It's because of what we have locked up in our head. If you believe you can never prosper, you will not prosper. Even if they put you inside money, you will still find a way to waste it. These people could not possess the promised land. They could not enter into the promise of the Almighty God because in their mind, they thought it was impossible. Because of the state of their mind, the practice of faith became impossible. You see, my brothers and sisters, the grasshopper mentality will cut you off the blessings of God. The grasshopper mentality will make it impossible for you to practice your faith. No matter the amount of promise that you receive, no matter what you have been given, if you believe that you cannot make it, you will not make it. It is not a cause. It's just a statement of fact. That's just the way we are designed to operate. And please understand, because of their state of mind, because of their grasshopper mentality, the generation could not experience the promise of God. They could not possess the promise of God. Not because God was not willing to give it to them, but because they could not act on the promise of God because of what was going on inside of their hearts. And that's why James chapter 1 verse 5 tells us, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God. That gives to all men liberally and upbraid not, and it shall be given to him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavered is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Now look at verse number 7. He said, let not that man think he will receive any of the law. In other words, when you make one step forward and three steps backward, God will say, okay, when you are ready, you talk to me. I have other people to attend to. The Bible said, let not that man think that he will receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. 
Unfortunately, there are many in the church today with that same grasshopper mentality. Many who have received the word of God. Many who have received divine proclamation. Many who have seen the hand of God move in their life. But for some reason, nothing seems to be happening. And we are forced to ask the question, why are we not seeing the promise of God fulfilled? And the simple answer is because we refuse to act on the word of God. We refuse to practice the word of God. Why are we not practicing the word of God? Why are we not taking the step of faith? We are not taking the step of faith because many of us do not understand the undergarden principles lying behind the practice of our faith. We don't understand the simple principles that is holding the idea of practicing your faith. You have to understand the principle of how things work. If you don't understand how things work, you will end up frustrating yourself. You need to understand the principles. It saves you a lot of stress. Saves you a lot of stress. I tell people, faith is not magic. It doesn't belong to a special group of people. It's for you to understand how things work. And what are the keys to practicing your faith? What are the keys to practice your faith? The practice of our faith operates on very specific principles. And if you look at the book of Matthew chapter 11, just one verse, there are several verses of the scripture, but just one of them we're going to use to illustrate. Matthew 11, 23, the Bible says, For assuredly I say to you, whosoever will say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Very simple. Very, very simple. Now, in this verse of the scripture, there are three basic principles that undergirds the practice of our faith. Three basic principles. Number one is the principle of thoughts. The Bible says, For assuredly I say to you, whosoever say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. Look at the next statement. He said, and does not doubt in his heart. Which means your faith operates based on what is going on inside your heart. You don't believe it, you can say it from now till kingdom come. It doesn't make any difference. You can say it, you can proclaim it, you can profess it, you can do everything, you can do all those things, it will never happen. It starts in your heart. The principle of thought, the practice of faith is a function of our thought. You cannot practice effectively what your heart doubts. You cannot practice effectively what your heart refused to accept. You cannot practice effectively what your heart is not convinced of. You will not take the medication if you don't trust it. Right? So the principle of the operation of our faith starts with the principle of the thought. It has to begin in your mind. If you don't believe it, it will not work for you. Number two, the practice of our faith is a function of our declaration. The function of the words that come out of your mouth. The Bible says, if you will say to this mountain, you have to open your mouth. What you refuse to declare, you cannot practice. You cannot practice effectively what your mouth refused to say. Because the more you say it, the more your heart will believe it. But if your heart does not believe it, you cannot say it. So it's a very interesting connection. Number three, the practice of our faith is a function of your action. If you say, I believe, if you believe in your heart, and you do not do anything, you can wait till kingdom come. Nothing will happen. And that's why the Bible says that wheresoever the sole of your feet shall tread upon, there I have given you. If your the sole of your feet does not tread upon anything, you get zero. 
You see that and say, God will do it, God will do it. And you are not doing anything. Sorry for you. Nothing will happen. God works with your action. The practice of our faith is a function of our engagement. It's a function of our action. You cannot practice effectively what you refuse to engage. And that is why a lot of Christians are not moving forward. You don't engage the Bible. You don't read it. You don't meditate on it. And then you expect to grow in faith. You expect God to magically open the heaven. You expect all of a sudden things begin to happen. It doesn't work like that. And it's not how much you shout or cry or beg the Almighty God. It's for you to understand the principles. These principles suggest to us that the practice of our faith requires one basic thing and one basic thing alone. The alignment of your thoughts, your words, and your action. They have to align. When your word, your thought, and your actions align, faith flows. To effectively practice our faith, our thought must agree with our words. Our words must agree with our action. The problem in the church is that many are thinking one way and they are acting another way. That is the problem. That's why you are not seeing the results. We are saying one thing, we are doing something else, and we are thinking something else. One way you are saying that you believe God for provision and you are thinking poverty. You are believing God for healing, but you have a disease mentality. Your body can only produce what your mind gives to it. You cannot say, I am a success when you are thinking failure. You cannot say that I'm going to prosper when you are believing that poverty will reign in your life. And that is why you find that we do one thing and we act a different way. Jesus said, assuredly, I say unto you, whosoever will say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart. He said, but believes those things that he says will be done, he will have it. That means there has to be an alignment. What you are thinking is exactly what you are saying, and it's exactly what you're doing. When those three things align, things begin to fall in place. And that's why you look at them and you say, ah, these people are lucky. No. They have understood the simple keys for the effectiveness of their own faith. They have understood that what they are thinking must align with their word, must align with their action, so that they can produce the result. Until there is an alignment of our thought, of our word, of our action, faith practice becomes impossible. You will try, but you will not get the result that you want. The question then is that how then do you align your, your thought, your word, and your action? How do you align them? I'll run through that very quickly. You align them by having the first thing, the right concept of God. Who is God to you? Because the word of God that turns things around comes from God. And you must see God in a positive light. If you see God as an angry old man who is always looking for a way to get you, you will not believe a word that comes out of his mouth. You will not read his word because you believe it's out to get you. But if you believe God as a loving father, who is always looking out for you? Who is always thinking of how to make life good for you? It changes the way you see his word. And that's why you find that some people relate better with their mother than with their father. Because they see their father as a disciplinarian. They see their mother as a loving person. And because their mother is a loving person, you will see a grown-up man. When mom says, sit down, he will sit down. Why? Because there is a different concept. He has the right perception of that mother. And it will respond accordingly. For you to align your thought, your word, and your actions together, you must have the right concept of God. You must have a clear vision of his promises for you. What does the Lord say about you? What has he promised to do for you? 
If you have a clear vision of what God wants to do for you, it's easy for you to believe it. So you align your thought, your word, your action, number one, by having the right concept of God, number two, by having a clear vision of his promise, number three, by having a firm conviction in the word of God. You believe that this is the word of God. The Bible says that forever, O oh God, your word is settled in heaven. If you believe the word of God is settled, then you have no question. The Bible says God is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should repent. Whatever he said he will do, he will do. If you believe that and you are convinced of that, it becomes a lot easier for you to align your word and your thought. And then number four, you align your thought, your word and your action through the confession. Bold confession. When I tell you this, that God is able to do this because I believe it. I am convinced of it. I have an understanding of his promises and I know his promises never fail. So you make a bold confession and then you are able to connect the dots. And then you have what is called the vigorous pursuit. Because confession without action is void. Confession without action is void. And when you do this, then you can engage in the process of truly, truly practicing your faith. The question then is how do you engage? There are several steps, but I'm just going to give you one. How you engage in the process of alignment. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans chapter 12 verse 1. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And say, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that which is good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. You engage the process of alignment. You begin to connect your heart and your word and your actions together when you renew your mind. You cannot continue to think the crazy thought that you are thinking and expect that things will change for you. The life of an individual changes when they change the way they think. If you think you are a victim, you can never be a victor. It is not possible. If you want to make a change in your life, there has to first of all start a change in the way you think. If you believe the crap that is being published around in our community and in our society about individuals, you will not move forward. The point you are making is that you cannot change your situation. You cannot practice your faith unless your mind is renewed. And that's why Paul the Apostle said, do not be conformed to this world. Don't think like this world. Don't behave like this world. Don't accept their standard. Don't accept what they are telling you. He said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. In other words, be different. And how does that difference come? It comes when you renew your mind. And how do you renew your mind? You surround yourself with the word of God. You cannot listen to garbage and expect that your mind will be pure. The more you begin to listen to the word of God, the more it purges your heart. The more it cleanses your heart. The more it purifies your heart. Number two, you read and you meditate on that word. Spend time in the word of God. Because out of that word of God is where you have the riches and the treasures that will make your life what it's supposed to be. And number three, you guard and you protect your heart. Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes that I will not behold a maiden. In other words, I am guarding my heart. So that no crap will go inside of it. Look at the things you see. Look at the places you go. The kind of music you allow into your ears. The kind of friends. The kind of gossip that you listen to. When you pollute your heart. You can never think right. 
The Bible makes us to understand. It says, keep your heart. Proverbs chapter 4. It says, keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it flows the issues of life. If you want to maintain the source of your life to be pure, you have to guard your heart. And that is the only way you can connect your thought, your word, and your action so that you can practice your faith. And until your heart and your mind are renewed and transformed, what you think, what you say, what you do will not agree. Because everything starts in your heart. The question is that, is there an alignment? But unless there is this particular alignment, unless there is an agreement, until there's an alignment between your thought, your word, and your action, practicing your faith will be impossible. You cannot believe God unless it starts in your heart. The Bible says, with the heart, man believes. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. There has to be a connection between the two. Thank you very much for listening to our program today. We invite you to join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. for our Sunday worship service at 2711 Murfreesboro Road in Antioch, Tennessee. We also host Bible study and prayer meetings every Friday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at www.lifelonganointing.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Join us next time for another edition of Fresh Encounter. On behalf of Lifelong Anointing Church, we thank you for listening.